let us pray first. In our struggle to hear your word, O God, bless even our doubts, ponderings, and questions. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we may hear what you are saying to us today. Amen. Draw near and hear the words of the Lord your God, says Joshua. It is time. The moment is here. The moment of God's fulfillment is here. In God's way and in God's time, God is fulfilling the promise. The presence of the living Lord, who made a promise to the ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who hears the cries of the oppressed, who delivers people out of slavery, who hold back the waters of the Red Sea, who feed the hungry with manna, who makes the covenant with God's people, who journeys together in the wilderness, is about to be revealed once more. As people are gathered at the edges of the Jordan River, ready to cross over to the promised land. It is time, and this is a crucial, crucial moment. So crucial is this crossing that the account is actually covered in two chapters, in chapter 3 and 4. This is a critical moment in the history of the Israelites. And the text says that the three days of preparation is required to cross over. The people are asked to consecrate themselves, and the priests are given specific instructions to take up the Ark of the Covenant, to take up, to go ahead, to go ahead of people, and to stand to stand in the river. The literary unit of the Jordan crossing is really messy. It's jumbled with geographical details, chronology, and theological setting. In the two chapters, the crossing over is actually talked from different perspectives, different, different angles. And the Hebrew root word to cross over is used 24 times. So whoever put this text together wanted to make sure the importance of this event. They wanted to make sure that whoever read this text got the meaning. The Jordan crossing is a significant boundary and a transition marker. This is an incredibly important event where the act of crossing brings Israel from promise to fulfillment, changes Israel from a wandering people to a landed nation. The story is full of hope, full of hope and actually dread where the period of wandering is finally over and the Lord is about to stop the waters again so that the people could pass on dry ground again. This ritual is an act of remembrance and renewal. 
and the crossing over is a reminder that this is how the journey actually began. The crossing of the Red Sea was the initial saving act for the people. And this is the fulfillment of the promise. It is also an act fraught with trouble because as they are crossing over, they are crossing over into a land that is already occupied. So war is coming, and this cannot be ignored. There are moments when you are preparing a sermon and you think you know what you're going to write. Um, and I was actually going to, when I first saw this passage, I thought, oh, this will link very well with our world at the moment, this, this pandemic world, where we are hoping, we are hoping to cross over. And in it, we are, we are scared, but it's full of hope as well, because we know that God is going to go with us. So that was my plan. But God had some different plans, because there is one particular, one particular verse in Joshua, and God kept pushing me into it. There is a text that says that people will know the living God, that the living God is among them, who without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivitites, the Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Fulfillment to God's promise comes with a cost. And when God is keeping... God's promise, the people of the land, the locals or the foreigners in the eyes of the Israelites, are dispossessed. And we come to this text from a place, we come to this text from a place where there has been survival and conquest, where the first people of this country still can still raise their voice for truth-telling and justice. So we halt at the edges of the text and we are hesitant to stand in it because this is a troubling text. The book of Joshua. I don't know how many of you have actually read the whole, whole book of Joshua. It's, it's a book of God's fulfillment, but it's a disturbing book. It's a disturbing book. Genocide, ethnic cleansing, massacre, total destruction of men, women, old and young, even killing of the animals is mandated, is justified by God. It's a disturbing book. And the God that we meet in the book of Joshua is incomprehensible. And I continue to struggle with this God that I cannot understand. God is using violence to possess the land, and not surprisingly, this book has been cited as the basis for past and present colonial oppression and religious violence here and also in different parts of the world. The churches rarely preach on this book, and if it does appear in our lectionary, like today, we are made sure that the nasty bits, the really gruesome bits, are left out because they confront us with a God who makes us uneasy and uncomfortable. 
talking about issues of racism and colonialism confront us and they make us uneasy and uncomfortable. So we halt at the edges of the text, wondering how to dip our feet in it. Do we stand in the text faithfully, or are we eager to cross over to the parts that are not so confronting? Do we like to cross over to the parts that make sense and, you know, comfort us? We halt at the edges of the world where a treaty with our first people is yet to be made. And we wonder how to dip our feet in their struggle. Do we stand with them or are we eager to cross over to the part that talk about reconciliation? As what is done is done. We've apologised. Let's move on. But how can we talk about reconciliation when we have not fully repented? How can we understand the depth of God's mercy when we have not fully comprehended this side of God? That God's ways are not ours to determine. God works in ways that we do not understand or control. God works in ways that we do not understand or control. And it's because of this that we are graced. We are graced with mercy through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who freely gives himself to death on a cross. We like to skip to the resurrected Christ with ease and joy. But it's the death of Jesus on a cross that confront our reality and this unthinkable, this extraordinary way of Christ that unsettles the world. God is again incomprehensible, but through it we are given a new life, a promise of new heaven and earth. Our churches are built on land that was stolen and never ceded. Our history is embedded in racism and colonialism. The violent warfare portrayed in the book of Joshua is embarrassing, and we want to deny it, wishing that the mighty stream would wash it clean. The lingering racist colonial legacies of our past and present is embarrassing, and we want to deny it, hoping that the water of baptism makes us all clean. But then we are confronted with a God who says, draw near and hear the word. Take up, take up your cross and follow me. So as we move from the edges of the text and stand in it, we encounter stories and the images of God that unsettle, hurt, and even haunt us. But this is part of the sacred book. This is our story. When we move from the edges in our world and stand with our first peoples, 
and the struggle for justice and truth-telling. We will encounter stories and issues that unsettle, hurt, and even haunt us. But this is our story. And as we stand in humble silence, as we stand on this dry ground, where the mighty stream has been pushed back, and we may not get to the promised land yet, but as we stand there, we see Christ at work. We see Christ at work doing the impossible bringing true reconciliation for all. And then maybe we will be able to take a step forward into the promised land, into the new heaven and earth. And we pray that the justice roll down like a mighty stream and that we stand in it. And for this, we are thankful to the Holy Trinity of love, be all honor and glory and praise, now and forever. Amen.